You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Let's hop into our new series on Isaiah. Today we're on Isaiah 2. It's only four verses. Aren't you so glad? Four verses. Um, But before we get to those four verses, I want to talk a little bit about some ancient conceptions here. It's not entirely ancient either, actually. I was watching Mickey Mouse with my kids a while back. Um, It's the new Mickey Mouse. I got to tell you, if you're a cartoon lover like myself, the artistic style of these new Mickey Mouses amazing. My wife hates it because they redid Goofy's character and he's very disturbing and disgusting looking and they always like zoom in on him when he looks gross. Anyways, she doesn't like it, but it's great. Uh, <laughs> but what, what Mickey Mouse tends to do in these episodes a lot of times is they'll zoom into other cultures. So one moment he'll suddenly just be speaking Japanese and he'll be in Japan and then the next moment he'll be in India or things like that. And in one episode where they're in India, they're going up this mountain and when they get to the top of the mountain they come across a garden and there's this kind of like spiritual center of sorts and so i'm looking at this i'm like okay so this must be like kind of a conception in india is like high up on the mountains you would find spiritual moments things like that that's actually not entirely different from the bible i mean just think of mount sinai right moses goes up on a mountain meets god up there That's a very uh, usual conception of God throughout the Bible because that's the ancient conception of the gods. Remember, uh, they are not scientifically minded. The ancient people who wrote your Bible thought that stars were spiritual beings. Why? Because up there's the heavens, down here is the earth. And the stars move. They're not always in the same place throughout the year. Therefore, they give signs of life. They must be alive if they're moving. They have no idea they're rotating around a sun and spinning in place and all that. Revolving around a sun, rotating in space. Let me get my science right. Um, And so in their minds, like, okay, so the gods must live up there and those are the stars. And if we climb the mountains high enough, maybe we can go see them. And that's what they would try to do sometimes. Moses goes up on a mountain and finds God's back up there. Moses takes a bunch of elders up on the mountain and when they look at the ceiling over the earth that they uh, believed existed, they see God's feet walking on that glass ceiling. This is just ancient conception, weird to us. That's kind of stuff in your Bible. The idea is they must be up there because that's closer to the heavens. The idea is they must be up there because they can get away from humans, these pesky humans. Mountain climbing wasn't always a thing, right? Ain't nobody trying to go climb Kilimanjaro back in the day as though they're going to actually pull that off or anything like that. That's a modern conception. So you didn't go up there. It was removed from humanity. So ancient conception throughout the Bible is you would find a spiritual being in a garden because they're surrounded by lush, everything, all this beauty, or you find a spiritual being in a mountain up there. And the Bible presents God in both ways. At the beginning of your Bible, where is he? It's in a garden, right? There's a river that flows from that garden, which might give us this idea that like it's flowing down out of a mountain because it's, it's watering the rest of the earth coming out of there. 
Likewise, if you go to Ezekiel 28 sometime and you read it, it talks about the Garden of Eden and the Holy Mountain of God as the same place. So you see in Ezekiel, there's this idea that Eden is a mountain. And that lines up perfectly with everything that they think. God is up there. And then we get to today's passage in Isaiah. And even though you might want to read it like you live in the 21st century, if you're reading it with all the context I just gave you, it should pop to you a little bit differently. So Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 4. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is a beautiful passage. And it's a popular passage, not just to us today, but in the Bible itself. Amos 4 is the same exact passage. I don't know if Isaiah is quoting Amos or Amos is quoting Isaiah, but obviously this was like a powerful image for them because they, they repeat it twice. They just copy and paste. The idea is here we are at the mountain of God, the place where God dwells. And Isaiah paints this picture. Right now, life is hard. Right now, things are bad. There's, there's spears, there's swords, there's stuff that threatens us. But I have a prophetic word for you today. Isaiah tells these people getting ready for exile, these people getting ready for difficulty, these people already going through difficulty. He says, I have a prophetic word for you. Though all this difficulty is going on right now, though war is going on right now, though your life is persecuted and hard and strange and you just don't know what's ahead of you, one day at the end of all things, God will put things right. And he won't just gather in our nation of Israel, but he will gather in all of these nations. That's what the New Testament's about, leaving Israel to bring in everyone who will leave their own gods behind and follow the one true God. And he paints this picture for them. Our mountain, where God lives, here in Jerusalem, here in Eden, his space, that mountain will just grow. It'll become higher than all the other ones. Nothing else, no of the other gods, none of the other spiritual beings or all these religions or all these things are going to compare to him because he is the one and only God and he will rule over and he will put all things right. And there will be this supernatural magnetism in that moment. I love this picture. You know, in Eden, there was a river that flowed out of it. But in Isaiah's picture, there's a river that flows up to a mountain. Now, I don't know much about rivers, but I'm pretty sure that's not how science works. You know, like rivers don't like, except for in the game I played, <laughs> rivers don't go up mountains. But that's a supernatural magnetism in this poem of 
this prophetic poem that Isaiah is painting. One day, God will put things right and the law will go out. God's law. And people will just be attracted to it. People will run to it. Every river of every nation, all these different kinds of people and tribes, racism done away with and everything just sucked right into the mountain of the Lord as he makes us all one people, one family, one love, one mind, and of character. And he installs in us through his Holy Spirit all the things that we need to be the people that we want to be, to be the people who can live by the law, and to create utopia that we always hope for. What would this world be like if it wasn't fallen? Isaiah is saying that day is coming. And what happens when they get there? They take their guns, their swords, their spears, and they take it to the metal workers, smiths, men, what's, what's that called? Yeah, that's what I said, blacksmith, yeah. They take him to the blacksmith, and the guy starts heating it up and pounding it and turning it into things that have nothing to do with war. In fact, what does he turn it into? Gardening equipment. Where are we in this mountain? We're in the New Eden. We're in the mountain of God. The God who reigns above all, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Leave all that stuff behind and let me turn it all into cultivating the garden of God and cultivating the earth. It's the new Eden. It's the beauty of what we're called into. Right now, life is hard. Not for everyone. In some ways, for some people throughout the last seven months, life has been a little easier if... <laughs> If you fell into the weird chunk of people who got paid more than they usually do for not doing any work, then maybe you had a good time. <laughs> but there's a lot of other stuff going on. There's a lot of trauma going on. There's a lot of politics going on, a lot of hurt and pain and racism and marches and prejudice and pure vitriol being spewed out on everyone. We are all feeling it. And there in the midst of all that, God reminds us of the vision of what is to come. A church that has no vision falls flat. Yeah, I mean, mountains throughout history were the place that you went to worship because that's where you found what you thought the spiritual beings would be. So, like, think of all throughout the Old Testament, they worshiped on where? High places, right? They're going up in elevation to try to meet. That's what the Tower of Babel is. We're going up in elevation to try to make our own man-made way of getting to God. Um, so in this moment, or at least in John, we see that, uh, hey, we're actually abandoning all this idea of a mountain because the new temple is found in Christians. God's Holy Spirit once dwelled in a garden, uh, then it moved to the tabernacle, then it moved to the mountain of Jerusalem and the temple. In the New Testament, we have this shift of actually God's Spirit now dwells in God's people. And so if you're looking for the temple, don't go check out the temple where Jesus flipped tables. Don't go check out any high place, anything like that. The temple is right here. You have access to God's presence already. So you have that shift in the New Testament. Uh, but in Isaiah's purposes, at least, you know, it's the same kind of like one day God will restore all things and those who follow him will be drawn 
to this place where we all will be one. And you see John in Revelation is going to work off this passage, right? There's a mountain that the mountain of the Lord shows up. It's Armageddon. Armageddon, which if we were to do all the linguistics work, you'd find out it's Harmageddon, or as it would be pronounced more like, uh, I forget the pronunciation, but the meaning of Armageddon or Harmageddon is Har, Mount, of assembly. And that's later in Isaiah 14. So we're not there right now. But John works off that. God's mountain, the mountain of assembly, the mountain where the divine council comes together, the mountain where God controls all things. That is this mountain right here where God's saying, come every river of every nation, of every kind of people. Once the river went out from my presence, now I'm pulling you all back in. By the time we get to John and Revelation, the new Eden shows the rivers flowing back out from God's presence and the whole earth is filled with it. So this passage right here, you know, meditate on it. Spend some time in it. We interviewed Shane Claiborne on Monday on the Jackson Cloud. That was this week, right? <laughs> Everything's a blur. So we interviewed Shane Claiborne. And in the interview, he pulls out a, a, a plow share and, and these things. He, he pulls these things out. He's like, we made these out of old guns. This, uh, um, the handle right here for this, uh, you know, gardening equipment is from a gun. This is the wooden beam. And he does this as kind of like a prophetic act. Like, hey, look at uh, where we're headed. We're taking our guns, we're molding them down into uh, what they should be. And that's another huge statement for us. This is the image that is the vision that's given to us. The vision of all things. Like I was saying, a church without vision is going to fall apart. It doesn't know where it's headed. One of the things that has helped me realize, Jamin, you need to live a self-sacrificial life even if it costs you your own life one of the things that has helped me come to terms with that one of the reasons i'm not worried about not having a gun and you know if i had to give my life up for god i'm at a place where i'm willing to do that where maybe in the past i i wouldn't have been one of the things that helps me do that is the vision this is where you're headed god is saying there is more beyond than this life there is more ahead of you than what you're going through Right now, one thing I will, one day I will put it all right. One day I will make all things be what it needs to be. Well, that's a vision to hold on to, to follow after. It's a vision, to be honest, that we should be living out right now. I do not think Isaiah or Jesus or God's point was. One day the world's gonna be like this, but until that time, go ahead and kill people and keep yourselves protected and watch over everything that's going on and whatever. I don't get that. Rather, if this is the world that God is pulling us to, then in my opinion, he's saying, this is how my people live. Start taking your weapons and turning them into gardening equipment and then cultivate the earth with heaven. That's a strong statement. Again, that's why people don't like the prophets. <laughs> Strong statements all the time. If they would just be quiet, maybe things would be easier. Maybe we could live on in our convictions, or without conviction. Yeah. And so we turn to God who is full of grace and love. We turn to Jesus who shows us how to live. And when we come across statements that seem too difficult, we meet those turning points where we either justify how we want to live or we 
if we are convicted, then we knowingly say, no, I'm not going to do that. Or we come to the point that we say, your ways are higher than mine and therefore unlike mine. And if I will submit to you, then I will lay myself at your feet in whatever capacity that you choose. And when we do that, we show the world what that mountain looks like. When we do that, maybe to some extent, we're magnifying that mountain for the world to see as it raises up for people to be like, ah, that's what Eden's like. That's what God's like. And then we go out and we show the world not a kind of faith that shoves people away and tells them that uh, fills the world with hatred and all this kind of stuff. No, if Christians are doing their job, then it's got that supernatural magnetism to it. Hey, have you seen God? Check this out. Come see this. Your river's flowing this way. Join your people. Come follow him. When we're pushing people away, we're not advertising the God who loves them and wants to bring them to them. We're not advertising the Jesus who is willing to say to people who are cutting his hands open, yeah, I love you too. And God, would you forgive them for this? And so every day, every time we come into hardship, we turn to Jesus and we say, how do I live? How do I direct people to the mountain? What kind of tool in my life is needing to be blacksmithed into something new today to cultivate heaven here on the earth, to continue on with the Eden process? Because that's what Eden's all about. It was one little space where God's presence was. Eventually they were supposed to multiply and fill the earth. That passage isn't just about procreation. That passage is about mission. This is what Eden looks like. Once there's more of you, you're gonna leave the garden and you're gonna go make the rest of the world look like this place, look like God's presence, look like Eden. You live on the earth, you make the earth look like God. And that mission is still on track today. How are you making the earth look like God? How are you making it look like the mountain of the Lord? So with that, um, we're going to close with a song. It's just one song, and uh, I could probably just do this one because it's super chill anyways. Um, but I would suggest just listening closely to the lyrics. It's lyrics that have really got under my skin this last year. John Mark McMillan in the song just kind of like... Uh, thinks about all of these gods throughout history and they always lived up on their mountains on Mount Olympus and all these places and they were great and powerful and they were never coming down they didn't care about humanity whatever those people you know, who cares about them we made them to serve us they're our slaves whatever and then there's the one true God of the universe who leaves his mountain and comes down and lives like a slave lives like a homeless man washes our feet dies for us and uh, I just feel like this song really brings out the beauty of this leaving the mountain to come serve us lowly people. So I'll sing it for you and uh, dwell on that truth and then we will adjourn.